0: Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him this is
1: let's open with a word of prayer dear heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for this time where we can come together as a church family and study your bible we thank you that we can put aside the distractions and the noise of the normal daily routine and open luke's gospel this morning Please open our hearts now and may we be encouraged by your message today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Australia is the lucky country. We live a very comfortable life when we compare ourselves to other parts of the world. We're not at war with our neighbours. We're not persecuted, we do live in a beautiful part of the world. We seem to be confident in our ability to provide for ourselves and for our family. We have financial support in place for those who are not so well off. Mostly we tend to have enough money to pay for food and for clothes. We have good cars and roads to drive on. Well, mostly, I'm sure you can think of a few that aren't. We seem to be able to fit more and more into each day. There's always an activity or an event to go to. So there's not much space left in the day, but we seem to be happy to forego that time to make sure we achieve all our targets and keep up with those around us. Does that sound familiar? But with all the business of life, some things have to drop down the priority list. And sometimes that is quality time, communing with our Heavenly Father. With all our confidence and comfort, we think, sometimes think we can be self-sufficient and don't see talking to God as a priority. We have the wonderful gift of prayer, and unfortunately, sometimes we choose not to use it. and run the risk of losing touch with God's plan for our lives. Or maybe the challenge is that we're not sure how to pray. Well, if you're struggling with knowing how to pray, then You're in good company. Because in this passage this morning, we see that the disciples admit that they could do with some help. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we'll go through that passage again. Thank you, Brenda, for sharing that with us this morning. In verse 1 of Luke 11, we read, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, I wonder why the disciples asked that question. Maybe they saw that Jesus prayed regularly and they recognised that they needed to grow. Maybe they realised that their time with Jesus was limited. Or maybe they were worried that John's disciples knew something that they didn't. Whatever the reason, Jesus' response underlines the importance of prayer. Now there appears to be a few opinions on where and when this conversation took place and whether it is the same occasion as the Sermon on the Mount. The instruction Jesus gives is very similar to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 with a few phrases missing. And there are other examples in the Gospels where Jesus taught the same topic on different occasions. So it's not surprising he taught similar topics using different words. But what is the key point? It's not where this took place or who was there. The key point is that these instructions are as relevant today as they were for his disciples. Now because this is relevant for you and me, let's unpack the instructions that Jesus gives us. In verse 2, the first line says, When you pray, say, Father. Now this reminds us that whilst we serve the creator of the heavens and the earth, we can come before him as a child as a child does with a father and share our hurts and our fears and our desires isn't that a wonderful truth god loves us and wants us to acknowledge him as our father and does and, and not as some vague mystic being god sacrificed his one and only son that we could become his children and commune with him next we read hallowed be your name now, when my brother in law was young, he thought his father was pretty cool because his father had the same name as God. See, his father's name was Harold, and he always thought this verse, verse said, Harold be your name. It wasn't until some time later he realised that the word being used was hallowed. It's a word that's not used very often in conversation nowadays. So, what does hallowed mean? It means we should recognise God is holy and should be glorified." In biblical times a person's name represented their character or if you like who they are. So Jesus is saying that God's reputation is hallowed or holy. Now his reputation amongst the people here on earth depends on the behavior of people who have given their lives to him. People like you and me. So it is appropriate that God retains his reputation and it is appropriate that we pray for his reputation. So, when we pray for his name to be hallowed, what are we saying? Well, we're making a commitment to God. We are stating that we are committed to being godly people who will honour and protect his character by the lives we live. So when we think about it in this light, you can see the link into the next phrase that Jesus tells his disciples. Your kingdom come. So, how is God's kingdom progressed? By people like you and me, being committed to sharing his gospel and praying that the Holy Spirit would remove the scales from people's eyes. So we can praise God for the gift of his Holy Spirit, who is with us now, but we also yearn for the time when we will be face to face with our Lord and Saviour. In verse three, we read, Give us each day our daily bread. The first thing to notice is a tiny little two-letter word, us. We need to be praying for those around us and our attitude to these people should reflect the grace that we have received from God. Then we read each day our daily bread. This reminds us that we don't put in our requests to God for weeks and months in advance and then proceed to ignore him. We are constantly dependent on God. When I travel away from home, I miss Jill and the kids. I miss having the regular conversations about what happened during the day and what's planned for the next day. Now, I love Jill and I love my children, but it does not compare to the love that God has for us. So can you imagine how God looks forward to us stopping what we're doing and talking to him and asking him to provide everything that we need? And We also need to remember that God is infinitely wiser than we are And knows what we need. Sometimes his answers may be difficult to comprehend. But we need to trust that God knows what is best for our situation. Let's move on to verse 4 where we read, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Jesus is telling the disciples that they are sinners. Guess what? So are we. We have all sinned and we are bankrupt before God. We have no way to pay our debt but through Jesus' death on the cross that debt has graciously been cleared. That gift we have received from God should make us gracious, merciful and forgiving people. Now sin does not hinder our prayer. We don't have to be at a certain level on a scale of holiness before we can pray to God. But what does hinder our prayers is broken relationships. If we cherish our sin and we don't ask for forgiveness, then our relationship with God is damaged. If we have broken relationship with others and we have no intent to repair those relationships with those people and with God, then our relationship with God is damaged. I think John, 1 John 1 verses 8 to 10 sums this up well. And we've printed that in the outlines, if you'd like to open up the outlines. And in verse 8, we read, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The next phrase is, and lead us not into temptation. Every day we have to make choices on what we are going to do and say and think. We can choose the path that honors God, or we can go down the alternate path, which often seems to be the easier option. Now, Jesus is encouraging an attitude in us that desires to flee temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're reminded of how the Israelites succumb to temptation in the wilderness. And this passage tells us that it is recorded as a warning for us not to fall. Then in verse 13, which is in your outline again, in verse 13, there's a promise from God which says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now in the past, that's where I've stopped. Because if you look in the Bible, there's sort of a, a paragraph finishes there. And so I often don't keep going. But if you, I don't think Paul was finished. Because the very next thing he says in verse 14 is, Therefore... My dear friends, flee from idolatry. And of course, this doesn't stop at idolatry. We are to flee from all temptation. So when we pray, do we come to God with a shopping list? Are we tempted to pray for what we want? Well, that's okay. We're told to bring all our requests to God. But remember what the disciples asked? Teach us to pray. And what did Jesus say is to be their primary focus of prayer? He tells us to pray for God's honour, for the growth of his kingdom, for forgiveness and a desire to flee temptation. So why don't we pray as often as we should? And why do we give up on some requests? Well, Jesus goes on to share a parable about being persistent and expecting to receive, Let's read from verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Imagine that was you. You've just got organised for the night. The house is locked up. The kids are in bed. You've just got off to bed and a neighbour knocks on the door asking for some food for their surprise guest. Well, there's a good chance that won't happen to us. We have the luxury of supermarkets that stay open late and we even have mobile phones to ring ahead. But in biblical times, it was not uncommon for people to arrive unannounced, and it was expected that the host would provide for them. In this parable, a man who used up his daily supply of loaves gets an unexpected visitor arriving late in the night. So he goes to his friend and knocks on the door. Now, it's most likely that this is a small house possibly only one room, with the whole family sleeping at one end of the house. There could even be some animals in the house. So when the friend is asked, his first reply is, we're all in bed. I see, sorry, we're all in bed. If I get up, I'll disturb my whole family. Come back tomorrow. But then the knock and the request comes again. And the friend realizes that this is important to the man He's not going away empty handed. So, because of the man's boldness, he gets up, probably bumping a few kids along the way, and gives the man what he needs. How often do you receive an immediate answer to your prayers? And if we don't, how many times do we give up? Do you think that Christians who are being persecuted pray once or twice for their situation and then stop? I would think that they pray fervently for their situation and on a very regular basis. Why? Well, they realise they have a need. They know their request is important and they know God is sovereign. And we should know this as well. I'm sure we all have family members or friends who are not Christians. Are you being persistent in your prayers for them? Surely they're worthy of our prayers. Some people will have their heart softened by the Holy Spirit after years and years of prayer. I have a friend who became a Christian as an adult and started praying for his mother. He had to wait 20 years before she became a Christian after fervent prayer. His advice? Don't give up after the first decade. We don't know when this may happen or who it will happen to. So we should continue to pray for those who are lost. We should also pray that we don't lose the desire to see people saved. In Paul's various letters to the churches there is regular mention of prayer. Paul is constantly praying for these churches and asks them to pray for him. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians he talks about the armour of God and immediately after this he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests we need to be bold and persistent in our prayers let's move on to verse 9 and 10 where we're given the confidence that God will respond let's read from verse 9 so I say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The first thing to note is that we're reminded again to be persistent. Jesus doesn't just say ask. He says we are to ask and seek and knock. Or to put it another way, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And the second thing to note is the assurance that God will answer our prayers. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, we have a little Mazda that Jill drives on a daily basis, and several months ago, Jill told me that the remote control to open the car wasn't working well. And being the loving, wonderful husband that I am, I said, yeah, I'll get to it, Now, over a few months, from time to time, Jill would remind me again that it's still not working, and it's unsafe sometimes trying to open the car manually when this cars driving past on the street. So, eventually, being the wonderful husband that I am, I begrudgingly decided to do something about it. So, Jill's persistence and boldness paid off. But why had I procrastinated? Firstly, because I don't drive that car very much so it doesn't affect me. Secondly, I was secretly worried about how much this was going to cost. I was assuming that I would need a whole new key that would cost hundreds of dollars. I didn't ask. So eventually I plucked up the boldness to go down to the Mazda dealer and ask them what needed to be done. I was in and out of the dealers in 10 minutes with a new battery at the cost of $15. (laughs) Now my wife was very gracious when I came home and told her how simple this was to resolve and it could have been fixed months ago if I had bothered to ask. Ask, seek, knock. 1 Thessalonians 5 we read, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we are encouraged to be bold and persistent. And we've just read that our prayers will be answered. So how can we be confident that it will be the right answer? Let's read from verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now my children have asked for a lot of things over the years. I'm pretty sure I've never given them a snake or a scorpion. I do know that I haven't given them what they've asked for every time. I do not want to harm my children, but instead provide what I think is best for them. And I'm sure you are the same. Now, when Jacob was very young, he's up here now, when he was very young, he watched his mummy cook and spotted what he thought was a lolly in a shiny wrapper. It was, in fact, a beef stock cube. Now, Jacob wanted that lolly, but Jill knew that on its own it would not give him pleasure. But if it was added to a casserole, that little stock cube would infuse through the meal and enhance the flavour. Jill knew that the meal would provide nourishment for Jacob way beyond what that stock cube would do on its own. But in the end, to prove a point, she gave Jacob a taste. Ah, that's yucky, mummy! What Jacob thought he needed turned out not to be a good gift. Now if we compare our fallen natures against God, we can be supremely confident that God knows what we need and will provide good gifts. In verse 13, Jesus tells the disciples that the gift they will receive is the Holy Spirit. It would have been interesting to see their reaction. They may have been thinking, what's he talking about? They probably didn't grasp what Jesus was saying. But can you imagine the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to rest on them? I'm sure there was an ah moment when this teaching became clear to them. So can we be confident in God's answers to our prayer? Let's think about what he's given us already. He has given given up his one and only son to die for us. He has given us the gift of grace. He has given us an eternal hope. And in all of that, God's answer to prayer is the Holy Spirit, the one who brings into effect God's holy name and the changing of people's hearts. He has given us the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us. Now doesn't that give you a great assurance and confidence that God knows and will provide all that we need? The disciples' request to Jesus was, Lord, teach us to pray. So how's your prayer life? I think we all know the answer to that question. Do you put time aside for prayer each day? There's a saying that I think rings true, if you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. We know that we are to bring all things before God in prayer, but do you pray for God's name to be honoured? Do you pray for his kingdom to grow? Are you praying for the areas of your life where you're being tempted? Are you praying persistently for family and friends whose hearts are hardened? Or have you given up? Well the good news is that it's not too late to improve our prayer lives. Why not start today? We live in a wonderful country, but we serve a far more wonderful Lord and Saviour who has graciously given us the hope of a far better life to come. Let's make sure our prayer lives reflect that. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of prayer. Please forgive us for the times when we don't put time aside to talk to you. We thank you that you are holy, and please guide us towards living in a way that would honour you. We pray that we would be persistent and bold in our prayers. We pray that you would instil in us a desire to see our families, family and friends saved. We thank you that you promised to answer our prayers. And we thank you that we can trust in you to provide every good gift that we need. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.